You're listening to Real Estate Investing Talks, a Simply Do It podcast. Your journey to success in real estate investment starts right here, right now. Here's Danny Bate Orr. Here we go. Now I'm in focus. So, well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for taking the time of your uh, busy day, busy week. And I appreciate you uh, joining me. We do this session every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time um, right here. So obviously, you know where, where to find that session. The whole point of this session is to talk, you know, it's a real estate talk. Um, where I usually talk and you guys usually listen. Although I gotta say that uh, I would, I always appreciate um, you uh, putting questions. So it's always beneficial when you do that because that session is mainly for you guys uh, to an opportunity to ask questions. And I have uh, something that I always uh, want to cover myself. And I'm actually looking into how to host someone else. Um, in a session like this, and I think we can't do it on a PC, only on a phone app. So that maybe next time we'll do a phone app and try to see if we can uh, host someone with us. So thank you for joining me. My name is uh, Danny Bittor, obviously. I'm based in Southern California. Um, and before uh, we start with uh, today's topic, I just want to say uh, two short announcements. Next week, I'll be speaking, really speaking in the class um, in San Francisco on Tuesday um, next week and Wednesday in Sunnyvale. It's in the room. We can actually see each other face to face. I'll be talking about rental, you know, investing in rental properties out of state and investing in flipping out of state and some other techniques, how you can move a little bit faster and even move faster than that and how you can incorporate different strategies and techniques. So I'm kind of melting uh, different uh, uh, concepts or different strategies of investing together, in, you know, so all of us can actually benefit and do better as investors, move faster, and so on. So it's usually, uh, but it's usually about an hour, an hour and a half, depending on question. And then that starts at 7 p.m. on both nights. But for those who want to get a little bit extra from that evening, excuse me, I'm a little, I have a little bit cold. Um, we start at 6.15 as an early session. We call it a power session. The whole point of the power session is actually not to have a specific content, but more of an open Q&A for, you know, for everybody to, to, to ask. So sometimes uh, you know, I've, heard, I've learned that investors don't always have the place to go and ask questions. Uh, the whole point of the, uh, the power session is if you come up, you know, if you have a question regarding real estate, that I may know the answer or can help you. Maybe someone in the room can contribute. That's always what we're trying to do, to do a little bit of sharing and communicating uh, with each other. So it's not just about uh, um, what I have to talk about. And at seven, usually we start with the full uh, content of the class and talk about specific. And of course, we'll take more questions. So next week, the link is in the comments. I think it's the first link. Uh, the other thing, if you want to... Uh, read our uh, ebook. It's a simple, easy, very well structured uh, uh, book to follow and read. By all means, it covers a lot of things we talked about. We talk about just in a more structured and easy to follow kind of a way. With that said, if you have any questions, you know, put them on as I speak, and we'll address them gladly. 
And today's topic is I'm going to share with you um, about the mistakes that I've done. You know, I can't share with you all the mistakes that I've done. We don't have time for that. But I just wanted to point a couple of things that I've done in my past that I think are the bigger mistakes. Um, and, you know, you know, doing investing, investing myself um, and, you know, learning from those mistakes. I have definitely learned from those mistakes and I'm hoping you will learn from them as well. <laughs> So mistake number one, and I put those you know, in the notes, mistake number one is what I call ignoring the hidden, the hidden costs. Um, the type of real estate I'm talking about, just to, to put it in perspective, are rental properties, primarily rental properties, in my case out of state, but that has nothing to do with the, with the mistake. Um, and I think when I just started years back, I wasn't as detailed to the, to the, to the numbers. Because, see, this type of real estate, from my experience, is not the big numbers game. It's a small numbers game, okay? And if you're neglecting to, to account for, you know, 50 bucks there and 100 bucks there, you're actually, you know, going to hurt yourself or not uh, be able to really um, analyze the, the, the investment properly. Because it may seem as small numbers, but they, they very quickly add up when you're talking about you know uh, um, this type of properties, Let, let's just talk about few common mistakes that I see. Number one, when when I see investors or other you know uh, um, um, companies even presenting their rental properties to investors to invest, there's probably a couple of things that I never see or almost never see. Number one is vacancy, as if houses are 100% occupied of the time, so there's no accounting for that no mentioning of that okay maybe somewhere hidden yes but they when they present the deal it's not you know uh, uh, included in the numbers so vacancy just to give one example another example is HOA homeowners association not all the houses have them but many do and those who don't you know it's just another it could be another 20 50 whatever bucks per month and remember small numbers game not big numbers game number three is what I got is leasing fee Leasing fee is what we typically pay our property management company to place the tenant. So it's like a tenant placement fee, which is paid every time a tenant is being placed in the property. It could be yearly, it could be every few years, but it's there, right? Maybe not all the companies or all the you know, property management companies you know, charge that fee, but typically they do. So when you add those three, just as an example, maybe there are others, I just want to point out, you know, those three items that are many times being left, even two of them are being left out, you don't have the, uh, uh, the, the complete picture or the complete, you know, analysis properly of the property, right? Remember, small numbers game, right? So I, I made those mistakes. Maybe there are other fees such as you're not accounting properly for repairs. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. All of those things are part of the, the transaction, right? You can't just say this doesn't exist and, you know, all of a sudden to be surprised. So make sure... You are aware of those of those costs. Also, make sure you're aware that when you come to purchase the property, you need to be ready typically for the down payment, obviously, if you're buying with a mortgage, the closing cost you will you will have, right? The mortgage cost if you're using a mortgage, and almost every property that we buy requires some make ready, maybe a thousand dollar, maybe seven thousand dollars, it varies to make the house ready, prep it, finish it, you know, touch-ups, all those little things. They, you know, it needs to be expense in order to get the house, you know, rent ready. And if you don't account for those things, you'll end up saying, oh, I only need $20,000. And you end up, you know, actually 
realizing very quickly that you need $30,000 between all those you know, expenses. So very important that you actually do a proper analysis and don't forget to, 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 don't neglect things that seem like nickel and dime or small numbers because they really add up uh, quickly and over time they add up to a quite a significant amount. Next point is what I call the buying with a negative cash flow strategy. So what's a negative cash flow? Basically, you know, I've done it many times. We buy a property with a mortgage. Let's just say we put, you know, we put 5% down, okay? Let's just make it, you know, which is not very common today. But let's just say we put 5% down. And then, you know, between the, you know, so that means I have a 95% mortgage. And the income that comes in, in the rent covers all my expenses, the mortgage. But then I find that between whatever comes in and all the expenses, I'm actually in a negative cash flow. Let's call it $150 a month, right? Now, first of all, I have done many of those deals. Looking back, I wish I have done things a little bit differently. I wish I've had, I've, I wish I have purchased a smaller number of properties with a little bit more of a you know, down payment, let's say 20% down, to make every property independent of me. So let me explain that when I am using the when I'm buying with an you know, investment with a negative cash flow, I need to supplement every month whatever the negative cash flow is. So I have to shell you know send a hand into my pocket and bring in two hundred dollars, two hundred fifty, a hundred, whatever the number is, to cover that negative. Okay. On one hand, there's nothing wrong with it if you if you know the consequences. The consequences are a you gotta bring in money every month, and b and B, there is actually tax benefit for it because you're going to report a greater loss. So it's not completely losing money here. And if there's some circumstances that that would be okay to go in that direction. I'm not saying it's not okay. I'm just saying for me, again, my mistakes, I have purchased a lot of properties years back. I have put a little, you know, as little money down as possible, all generating negative cash flow. And when the, you know, the, the real estate market turned into the crash, it was very difficult to cover those, you know, those negative cash flow. If it's one or two properties, it may not be an issue. But when you have a large portfolio and adds up to, you know, many hundreds or thousands of dollars a month, and all of a sudden your your income, whatever your income, you know, is dependent on, suffers, then it's going to be hard for you to make those payments. So I would, I would going back, I would go, I would just make, you know, um, use a different strategy of being a little bit conservative putting a little bit more money down, making every house independent of me. And whatever happens in my life has nothing to do with the property. The property is self-sustaining financially, right? That's what I want to accomplish. And with the, with the negative cash flow, it's difficult. So remember, negative cash flow is not a taboo that don't do that. That's not the way I see it. I think there's a questions or understanding how to go about the negative cash flow and maybe it is right for you to go this way, which I have investors who actually employ that strategy because it makes sense. But generally speaking, if you understand the consequences of the negative cash flow and you're okay with them, that's fine. If you can, avoid them even better. Okay. Obviously, I, it may be sound trivial to some of you, but there, you know, not to, to, to be in a negative cash flow situation, but there could be reasons why you would want to be in that situation and good one, financially good one. Okay. Number three. Buying land. Okay, that's a little bit tricky. So what I mean, you know, there's obviously, when I when I say buying land, I mean just buying a piece of land, not necessarily a big acreage, maybe, uh, you know, 
Um, what I have done in the past that I consider my mistake, I would go in to an area where some big developer bought a huge, you know, acreage of land, they're subdividing it, they're developing it, they're putting infrastructure, they're putting roads with a clear, you know, dividing into specific lots with a clear, um, uh, uh, with a clear goal to sell those individual lots to owners or investors or whoever, and then someone will, you know, eventually will come and build a house on that, uh, on that property, okay? Uh, some, it's not always like this. There are other parts of the country that you can actually find Many, many, many lots already, you know, within, you know, a certain part of the city already developed and you can just buy and buy, you know, uh, come in and buy that, you know, lots. Now, here's my problem with this. If this is the, the type of investment you want to do as a land, remember this. Maybe you're getting a really good deal or bargain on buying that piece of land. But the fact that you are in an area that has a lot of lots competing with you, the price doesn't really matter because when this area will appreciate, all the lots around you will appreciate as well. And there's always going to be tons of competition because many times they're pretty much the same thing, the same lots, like same area, same geography, same zip code, everything, right? They're basically next, one next to each other or just about. So that's one challenge. The area, you know, appreciates, your lot appreciates, hippie now we have more money, you know, we made money on the lot, go sell it. There's a tons of competition out there with you. Tons of competition, okay? That's one. Number two, many times when you do a deal like this, the developer is already, you know, or is still developing lots in the, in the community, right? And he's selling them too. So that means you have a very powerful, strong player on the ground that is competing with you should you want to sell that lot. I can tell you that from a first-hand experience, right? I had a developer who was um, interfering or blocking my potential sales because he didn't want, want, didn't, want, uh, didn't want buyers to come and see my lot while he has many lots to sell as well. So he would remove the, the sign. He would make it difficult for, for the realtors um, you know, to come and, and you know and see the cell, uh, see the lot, access the lot because it was gated community. Um, the when people would come in to the cell, you know, to the uh, to the sales office, he would take them and show them available lots, not mine. So all of those things made me realize this is a bad setting, a bad scenario. You know, a, a very weak position for me to own lots, right? So I have. Uh, oh, and one more thing. Many times when in that type of a situation, you need an experienced or knowledgeable agent to sell this type of real estate, right? It's not all agents that there are no lots and there's the nuances that related. The expertise is a little bit, you know, different. And when you want to find that agent, you would quickly see that not a lot of agents want to deal with lots. And then you have maybe few people to, you know, potentially few agents to work with. Which could be enough, but let's say I've, you know, I remember checking once in an area and I could tell there may be five relevant agents to work with. Five agents is nothing, okay? I mean, ex expert agents. Why is it nothing? Because one doesn't want to work with you, one is not responding to emails and phone calls, right? Then you got three. Out of those three, one is a is, is complete, not someone you want to work with. Then you end up with two that maybe you'll end up working with. That, that's not just... And, Let's say you start with one and don't get along. You want to work with the two. You're left, sorry, you're left with one. I apologize. You're left with one. That's just uh, uh, not a good proposition. If, you have a, if you're in an area that you have 
50, I don't know, 20 experts in lots, right? And you can choose out of the 20. That's a much better, you know, setting to buy lots. Now, how I would consider to buy a lot? Either I would go with this scenario of, you know, developer with multiple lots with a clear plan to put a house on it. That makes sense to me. That means I'm, you know, creating an improvement. That's a, that's a very good proposition, generally speaking. Or... I would rather go to a developed area. Sometimes I go in a developed area, there are already houses around, and maybe there's a community or a neighborhood, and maybe there are three lots scattered throughout the neighborhood that I will pick one of them, or maybe there's two, one next to each other, I will pick one of them or two of them, and I'm not really competing with anyone. But also, I would want to have a clear plan. What am I going to do with this? I may just hold it, but usually, I personally, I would want to have a plan of, holding it with a clear path of how I'm going to build on it to, to create an improvement, okay? And remember, when you have a lot, typically you still have to pay for uh, homeowners association, uh, sorry, maybe homeowners association if there is one, and property taxes, right? And if you break ground by any way, by any means, typically you would also need insurance. There may be very cheap to, to you know, expenses, but there's still, you know, expenses when there's no income coming in okay so lots is the is the, the the third thing and for those of you who are joining us if you have questions need clarification about what i'm talking feel free to uh, uh to add you know those questions i see a lot of familiar names so good to see you guys uh, it's great it's great to see uh, um you know uh, people that obviously uh, i know well um the fourth thing i want to say is diversification so a lot of investors think that it's better maybe to buy one property in this market. Let me, you know, let's just say in Tampa and one property in Nashville and one property in Dallas and one property in Phoenix and or maybe two, whatever, which makes perfect sense because you say, oh, I'm diversifying. If Tampa goes through a you know bad period, economical period, then not all my properties are in the same basket. Okay. Logically, absolutely makes sense. Now Let's, let's just talk, which I have executed that plan for myself. I had multiple properties in multiple markets. It was a one here, two there, one there, nine there. It was just like this scattered all over. Um, and what, I have, what I've realized when you hit that scale of, of a certain number, right, which is not more than maybe you know, a handful, and you have to maintain multiple relationships with multiple property management companies, that creates a burden on you. Because every property management company is different. Different processes, different communication style, different uh, um, information they provide. And you find that it's actually a little bit more difficult to maintain all those relationships, even you know, when you're the client and they are the service provider, versus just saying, instead of having 10 properties in, in, you know, in eight markets, maybe, not maybe, it will be easier uh, to have maybe five in five or six and four in two markets. It's a consolidation, you know, uh, you know, effort. Now, there is no, you know, I had a conversation with one of my investors. What's the number? He wanted to know if I have how many markets and what's the number. And do I have a, a percentage of maybe 80% here and 20% there of property? And I told him, listen, this is not about these numbers. There is no right and wrong here, right? There's only your truth as a person, as an investor. If you think that correct thing to, go, to do is 10 properties in 10 markets, that's, that's your belief system, go for it. That was mine, I changed it, right? If you're saying, I have investors saying, 
only when I have 10 in one market is when I'm starting to look you know, into other markets, right? So everybody has its own, you know, comfort zone, feeling, what they want to do, and that's fine. Got you, you know, there's no right and wrong here. I just want to say that many people, such as myself, come to this saying, oh, I'm going to diversify, it's better, smarter. Yes, it is, but it comes with a price. So we want to find my suggestion, find that um, balance, which is a very individual number for you. And lastly, the last point I want to mention um, is that I think that when I got started, I didn't have the, the guidance. Um, and by the way, I was interviewed for a podcast yesterday and we were exactly focusing on that aspect of the obstacle and challenges that an investor have, right? Now, the obstacle and challenges are very different, you know, on the stage you are in. The beginner newbie has different challenges and obstacles than the one who has, that have done few investment properties and the one who's done already multiple investment properties, okay? And a lot of those people in different stages have different challenges and many times they don't understand that finding that person that in, that, in their niche of investing that will help them overcome the obstacle, answers a lot of concerns, address a lot of concerns, show them the path, Many times, just get them unstuck from a stuckness situation because something in their mind is blocking them about what to do. You know, if they don't find that mentor, and again, I'm not saying you got to find me as a mentor. Of course, you have to, but I'm not going to be able to mentor everybody, especially in, in, in niches that are not relevant for what you're trying to do. But in your niche, find that mentor. That mentor will be your brainstorming. That mentor will help you eliminate obstacles, move to the next level. It will help you. I didn't, I had people in my life, but the mentorship wasn't there. Okay. So I had to figure out a lot of those things by myself. And I think it's, you know, by the way, I still don't have a good mentor to the level I am in. Okay. Um, it's something that sometimes I find someone, I see that it's a, it's a good benefit and then it switches, uh, you know, to someone else. The mentors that I use now are more people that are in my level that we communicate and talk, you know, a level of experience and, you know, capacity of a volume of transaction. And those are the people, it's more of a exchanging ideas and thoughts and not a, a clear mentorship. But for you, that person could be opening a lot of opportunities or open your mind or address problem, you know, make sure you find that person, uh, you know, in that niche, that will, will definitely help you overcome the current and maybe future obstacles. And again, it varies, right? It's not, you know, everyone has their own challenges at the, at the place you are in. I can tell you, for example, I have a um, couple of people that I, that I mentor, not in real estate, but business-wise, real estate investment, you know, small starting businesses that are hitting different challenges. And it's not about where to buy or how to buy. That's not about the core investing, but in their life, their, cycle, their business cycle, they're telling me I'm, I'm stuck. I have a problem with specific problems. I have general problems. I have goals I want to accomplish and, and I'm mentoring them to get them to the next point as a business, as well as investors uh, you know, that I do every day, right? investors that want to invest and get to the next level. So find that, find that mentor in your life, in your niche and Use that, and if you need to pay, you know, pay a little bit or a lot, go and do that. It will help you um, go to the next level. There's no doubt in my mind, assuming that that person or mentor is a good one, of course. Okay, good. With that said, well, I'm good. I'm less than 30 minutes. 
Um, with that said, I am done with uh, with my uh, my uh, the points I wanted to cover today. If there are questions, by all means, please place them uh, either in the live chat right now, or if you're watching the recording, put it in the recording. Um, while I'm waiting for questions to come in, I just want to mention, uh, I just want to ask for your likes, of course, uh, or sharing. It's always been beneficial. And then mention that we have, again, we have, I'm speaking next week in San Francisco on Tuesday, and I'm speaking um, in Sunnyvale, Silicon Valley on Wednesday evenings. Uh, you are most welcome to RSVP. Um, there is no cost if you pre-register, and if there is, I think there is a, there is a small fee if, uh, if you show up at the door. So it's probably in your best interest to pre-register. Um, and then the links is uh, the links are in the comments. I also put in a link to our ebook. You're most welcome to download our ebook and to gain more structured step-by-step -step information than just just the small pieces of info that we're putting here. And again, we're doing this every Friday. So. Um, I know there's a topic for um, next Friday. I just can't remember what it is. And thank you, Gabriella, for the feedback. Lior, very, very good to see you. And for uh, the feedback, I appreciate it. And I'll wait another 30 to 60 seconds, see if there are questions coming in. And if not, we're just gonna call it a wrap and get on with our uh, busy schedules. So I'm just gonna wait here for a few more seconds. Okay. Very good, everyone. With that, with that being said, have a terrific weekend. And I hope to see you in person in one of the events that's coming up or one of our future sessions here or other sessions or maybe one-on-one. -on -one. Have a great weekend and, uh, and a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Congratulations, you're one step closer to success in real estate investment. You've been listening to Real Estate Investing Talks with Danny Bateor. To learn how Simply Do It can guide you through the real estate investment process and achieve nationwide success, visit us on the web at simplydoit.net. Thanks for listening.